What we do here is go back, 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 back. Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in to episode three of Bullpen Chatter. We have a great show coming your way today, and today I'm sitting on with the National Supervisor of Prep Baseball Report, and he is no stranger to the world of podcasting as he hosts The Roadie Show, as well as co-hosts Coffees and Curveballs with Shooter Hunt. Please welcome today's call to the bullpen, Nathan Roadie. Thanks for coming on the show, Nathan. You bet, Ian. Thanks for having me. No problem. So kind of diving in with this COVID-19 outbreak, well, how's that kind of changed up your outlook with your job today? Well, I mean, I'm still I'm still working, thankfully, uh, still busy, uh, so I'm by no means bored. Uh, the only difference really is I'm not going to games. Um, you know, we still got the draft coming up, so still doing a lot of work with that, and we are very much, um, you know, a multimedia platform. We're a scouting service, but we use a multimedia platform to put information out, and so we're still producing content. Um, and then whether it's draft rankings, which I've been working on a lot recently and doing reports on that, uh, as well as the shows, the podcasts, and all that. We're also still trying to help players um, because that's very much what our common goal, our core goal is, uh, you know, with what we do and trying to help players get to the next level. And obviously, as you probably know, a lot of guys right now have a lot of questions as to, you know, what are my options moving forward? You know, not only with roster relaxation, uh, but, uh, you know, with games not being played, trying to be seen. So any way that we can, you know, still try to help players, we're still very much trying to do that. Are there, you still, are there still a lot of coaches and stuff reaching out to you guys, figure, trying to figure out this whole thing with the recruiting side of stuff? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a, a lot of our guys are still getting hit, hit up by college coaches and being like, hey, you know, what do you got on this player? Because also they can't go, not only can they not go out right now because there aren't players, but you also, you just can't travel right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are still a lot of, uh, you know, guys, they still want to do their work. They still want to do their research on the player. Uh, so definitely our guys are still in tune, um, you know, with the players out there staying in touch with them, staying in touch with the coaches and giving out as much information as they possibly can to help both sides. What are, what are some of your thoughts on this year's MLB draft and how that's eventually going to play out? It's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, I've always thought that 40 rounds, uh, is, is too much (laughs) when you see you get to the 30th round and Johnny Manziel, (laughs) <laughs> uh, gets drafted and hadn't played baseball in a few years, and you know very well that he is not going to be playing baseball, that tells you that there's too many rounds. Now, five rounds, I think, is drastically short. I understand why they're doing it right now, but I also think that we could probably go a little bit more than that and be okay. I think 10 rounds is a very fair number, um, considering the current circumstances. Uh, moving forward, I'd be more in, uh, you know, up for like a 15 to 20 round draft. Um, but five rounds is really short. Um, I think they'll end up going 10 rounds. Uh, I think it depends on a few things. Obviously we've, they've got some time to figure that out and other things that they're prioritizing. Um, but I think we end up at 10 rounds, but either way with it being five, maybe 10 rounds, we're going to see a lot of high school guys still end up at college. Uh, because normally like your top round guys, they're still going to go. The Zach Beans, the Ed Howards, the Mick, like those those guys are still going to go in the first round. Nothing's really going to change that. Um, but it's those guys that, you know, maybe they were a third to fifth round type talent and they fall from there to like the 11th to 15th round. And on that third day when the teams have their extra money, 
they jump in and they get him. It, you know, a guy in the twelfth round, they sign him for two hundred fifty or five hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. Not going to see that as much. Um, now, granted, you still actually might see some guys uh, sign for that because now maybe with it only being ten, say it's ten rounds, you're not going to take a bunch of you know cheap senior signs in the sixth to tenth rounds um, because you'll have money to play with after the tenth round. We don't have. Mm-hmm. That. Uh, this year so there's gonna be a little bit of a different dynamic when it comes to that but overall a lot of those kind of middle tier uh guys that might sign for 250 to 500,000 gonna see them whether they're high school guys or even college juniors college seniors return uh or end up at college uh and just have a boatload of talent in college baseball in the next couple of years let me kind of touch that up on a little bit and then I, I saw you just coming out with your your PBR top ten in the draft. What are some who are some of those guys that just really stand out above the the others? Well, Zach Veen, uh, who we have number one uh, in the uh, in the class right now, um, is an unbelievable hitter. I mean, he not only can he hit for average, um, but he can hit for power as well, and it's big power. And he's still growing into his frame. Like last year, he was kind of that long, skinny kid. That showed feel for the barrel. He launched some balls in BP. Uh, you'd see it a little bit in games too. Uh, but then he went and added 20 to 25 pounds. So now that power is really showing up consistently. Mm. And it's to all fields. It's not like he's just a dead pull hitter. He can go around the world with it. Um, so he's the top guy right now. Uh, and just a big time bat uh, and obvious top 10 pick. Ed Howard um, is a top guy, potential top 10 pick for me. He's kind of an interesting case because, I mean, we saw last summer what he can do. He's a pretty right. defender, excellent athlete. Some question his, uh, you know, future ability to hit. I like the life and the bat. I think there's enough twitch, uh, enough hand-eye that he's going to hit. But even if he is, you know, a 250 hitter and a plus defender, there's a lot of value in that. The thing with him is he didn't get to play this spring uh, and kind of prove, continue to prove what right. he did last summer. You know, we got, uh, you know, this everything got banged about, uh, you know, two weeks before the NHSI national tournament in my backyard here in North Carolina. And he was due to come to that. And I thought he had a real chance to break out there. But with the season getting shut down, he now he doesn't get that. So you have to go all the way back to the summer, which guys saw it. They like him. I think they value it. But when you have that time off and you're talking about handing out a million, two million, three or four million dollars to a guy you still want that recent information. So how teams handle that uh, will be interesting to see how it plays out. For sure. I know one guy in your top 10 that I'm really big on is Emerson Hancock. He's mm-hmm. right in a picture with a mid-90s fastball with that changeup is killer. <laughs> yeah, that changeup is pretty good. He's got good feel for it. Um, not to mention, you know, he's got a pretty good slider too. Uh, the changeup's better right now. Um, but uh, the slider is pretty good, so he's got a, a, a deep arsenal. We had him number one at one point, uh, and someone asked us, you know, what precipitated the fall for Hancock, and I don't, we don't really think it was a fall for him. It's just those guys behind him really stepped up in that first right. month of the college season. Uh, but Hancock, I mean, you, you draw up a high, uh, college right-hander, uh, you know, on a piece of paper, and Emerson Hancock is what you get. Uh, he had that kind of buzz out of high school. I, I had him ranked in our high school top 100 uh, coming out of high school. Uh, real electric arm. It just was very well known that he wanted to go to school. Uh, and he did that and obviously turned himself into a, a premium prospect. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely hard to beat a mid-90s fastball and <laughs> mix it in with that mid-80s change and mid-80s slider. 
Yeah, it's got some pretty nasty movement on it, too. Uh, talk a little bit about your one-two. You got Spencer Torgelson and Austin Martin mm-hmm. from Vandy there. Those are two really big names in college baseball right now. Yeah, they are. Obviously, Spencer Torkelson, um, you know, took the world by storm as a freshman, breaking Barry Bonds' uh, home run record at Arizona State. Uh, and it wasn't a fluke. He didn't slow down. He put up a huge sophomore campaign. Uh, and then he had a really good first month to the 2020 season. Um, I mean, he hit over 350, uh, you know, with a bunch of bombs. I can't remember exactly how many. But he also walked in the first month of the season. 17 games, I think 31 walks. Uh, which is Bonds you know, numbers as well. <laughs> exactly. Bonds number. Uh, very Bonds-esque there. Uh, I actually went and looked at it. He had 31 walks. And then Trevor Hover on Arizona State had 20 walks. So between the two of them, they had 51 walks. And their whole team had 97 in the first month. So they accounted for more than half of their team's walks. So it tells you what uh, what opposing pitchers think of those guys. But Torkelson, first baseman, feel for hit, but obviously tremendous raw power. Martin's the guy that he, he's he got feel for hit. It rivals Torkelson's, maybe a little bit better. Doesn't have Torkelson's power, obviously, but more defensive value. If you want him to play shortstop, he can be an average defender at shortstop. But if you, want, if you don't want him at shortstop, he can be a plus defender at second, plus defender at third. If you really need him to, he can run out and play center field like he did a little bit for Team USA last year. So just an excellent athlete with feel for hit, defensive versatility. Uh, so definitely a lot to like and easy easy to see him go as high as one and as low as two. <laughs> right. So kind of outside these first few rounds, getting into the later, if it does go 10 or if it does stay at five, who are, who are some guys we can kind of call them sleepers? There's so many. Who do you got there? Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Kyle Teal. Um, he's a left-handed hitter, catcher right now out of New Jersey. Um, you know, this, the question is, is his signability. He's committed to Virginia. And that's usually a tough sign, uh, you know, getting those guys out of high school. They usually end up on campus uh, in Charlottesville. Um, but left-handed hitter, really good athlete. Um, he can catch. Like, I think, you know, if you really wanted him to, he could stay at that position. But because of his ability with the bat, um, I think he, you know, he moves off of there and goes and plays second base or maybe somewhere in the outfield, uh, and you just really let that bat uh, continue to develop. Um, he wasn't one of the more physical and strong guys on the circuit last summer, but he definitely still hit, and you know there was a lot of twitch in there. So when you have that feel for hitting, and then all you need is strength, that's a recipe for success because it's it's really easy to put a guy on a nutrition and a weight program. And say what you were doing, just go now do it with more physicality. Uh, and so a guy like him could certainly take off. And you know, whether he sneaks into the first round, I, I don't think so. But you know, supplemental second round guy, he's one of those guys that could really take off uh, in pro ball. If he gets to school, uh, that's a huge win for Virginia. And we're looking at a you know, a, a highly likely first rounder in a few years. That's big, especially touching on some of those guys that are going to end up going to school that usually, with the with the draft being cut short, usually would get drafted. Mm-hmm. Who are some other guys like that you see probably, probably making that transition to school? Um, You know, a guy like, I don't know that he ends up on campus um, just because he he's such a, he's so projectable. But Alex Santos, for me, a Maryland recruit, is the kind of guy that, if I were a Maryland coach, 
and I had a regular spring, he'd be a guy that I'd be like very worried about. He was very good last summer. Um, and then Northeast arms, they're usually a little fresher. They don't, you know, start in February. They start more in like April. And, you know, if they come out, you know, progressively and they kind of heat up by May, you know, usually they can trend upward. But being from New York, Santos didn't really have, you know, that season to work with. So now we have to dial it back to last summer. Now, did he show us last summer, you know, that he can be a first round guy? Yes, he did. He was 90-94 with a plus breaking ball, six foot four, 220 pounds. What more do you want? Mm-hmm. But one of my points to guys is like, like, okay, yeah, you have that data from the summer and you evaluated them and the teams that have the history on the player certainly benefit. But now you have to go and tell your organization, you have to tell your owner, you have to tell your GM that you want to give this guy, you know, $3 million, for example, $2 million, $4 million, whatever it is. Are you going to be able to do that? Are you going to be able to sell that? And is somebody going to sign off on it with no information from the spring? I think that's a tougher sell. And that's what, why I'm not, as um, quick to say, oh, well, you know, we evaluated him last summer, so we have all the information that we need. Baseball and the draft is a very much what have you done for me lately. Mm-hmm. Some guys haven't done anything for us lately, and that's no fault of theirs, obviously. Like, you know, having a season canceled takes that away. Um, but he's a, he's a very interesting case study in all of this for me. Uh, another one is Ben Hernandez. Who, this is my next guy I was bringing up. Yeah, and very, someone we're very familiar with uh, has been to PBR events for a long time. Um, he's a guy didn't get to pitch this spring, spring beginning, that he's from Chicago, things start later. Um, he did throw out the Super 60, where he was electric, uh, one of the better bullpens I've seen at the Super 60 uh, in a long time. Um, but it's a fastball changeup guy. He was starting to show a slider at the Super 60, so it's one of those things where we're like, okay, you know, you show us the slider since the curveball wasn't quite there last summer. Let's watch how that progresses this spring. Well, now we don't have a spring. So is he more likely to go to Illinois, Chicago now, or do guys still like him enough? Uh, and is he signable in that, you know, second round, maybe third round conversation? So we'll see how it plays out, but definitely a lot of case studies to be had. Going along with the uh, the high school trend here, who are some some other guys to look out for in this draft? Well, um, I mean, Dylan Cruz uh, has long been known as, as a really good bat from uh, from Florida. Um, you know, had a solid spring, uh, you know, given that in Florida you can start off in February. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he got real hot to, you know, uh, to any degree, but still, uh, you know, a right-handed bat, high school outfielder. We'll see. Maybe he ends up at Louisiana State now. Um, but Tyler Soderstrom, I think, is a guy that did plenty uh, last summer to, to still be a first-round pick. Pete Carl Armstrong uh, didn't have a great summer last year, but went off for Team USA in the fall uh, and had a hot start to the spring. I think he's still a first-rounder for me. Uh, Jared Kelly was, you know, bumping 100 this spring down in Texas. Yeah. Uh, so, like I said, those those big names, those ones that we've known since last summer that have been at the top, the Robert Hassels, uh, even Kyle Harrison, Austin Hendrick, even though those guys kind of miss out on the spring, I think we those are still names that we hear called early on. Gotcha. So kind of going back to one more guy in your top 10, you got Mick Abel, mm-hmm. another right-handed guy, mid-90s. Has he been a guy that's always been up there on your guys' list? 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been up there uh, for quite a while. He's uh, Shooter Hunt is lucky enough that Mick Abel is like literally almost in his backyard. Uh, he goes to Portland Jesuit, uh, and Shooter lives in Portland. And I think it's you know maybe a ten, maybe twenty minutes uh, drive for him to see Mick Abel. Uh, so he got to see him as an underclassman uh, several times. Uh, the question was always was never about the stuff, or never really about the delivery. Um, cause it was always there. It was really, it was the strikes, you know, he would have a tendency, uh, to come out, throw 95, but he'd walk a handful of guys. Mm-hmm. So was it a, there was a question of, can he harness all of that stuff and throw more strikes? And he definitely showed that last summer. He always showed the raw stuff. Um, but last summer he showed that he can throw strikes. Uh, you know, it's not pinpoint command. Uh, you know, we're not looking at a Rembrandt. He's not going to be painting up there, but he doesn't need to when you're sitting you know, 93 to 95, 96, touching higher, mm-hmm. um, also showing a wipeout breaking ball uh, at times. So he's definitely uh, always been near the top of the list for us. So I was kind of moving on from our 2020 class. Who are some big guys to look for up in this next year coming out of the 21 class? The 21 class is really good. Uh, I've, Shooter and I have talked a lot about it on the podcast and uh, on, the, uh, on Coffee and Curveballs. The 2020 class is really good. It's really deep. I really like this class. Uh, But the 21 class certainly rivals it based on what I've seen and also what Shooter has told me. Uh, Right at the top, Tyree Reed uh, is a left-handed hitting outfielder from uh, California. He's committed at Oregon State. It's Northern California, American Canyon High School. I mean, you're talking about a premium defender in center field, left-handed bat with really good feel for hit, projectable power, I mean, top of the order, middle of the order type guy. Um, so he's number one for us. The top pitcher is Christian Little, uh, really electric arm. Uh, I saw him as a sophomore, and, you know, the stuff was – it was early in the spring for him when I saw him as a sophomore. But the stuff, you could see it. Um, it was raw. It would come and go, but you could see it in there. But the delivery was so easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's pretty athletic, uh, so tons of upside for him. Uh, Luke Leto from uh, Michigan, who I still haven't seen. I feel like I've been hearing about him for years. Still haven't had a chance to see him yet. But premium athlete. He can play shortstop. He can play catcher. He can play outfield. Um, So he's a guy that I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing. But my favorite guy in the class is Jordan Lawler. He's a Dallas Jesuit uh, in Texas, a shortstop, committed to Vanderbilt. Projectable frame. He can run. He can really defend. He can hit. He's got projectable power i mean he's my favorite guy and when you look at a guy you know that kind of projection and stuff that he can provide oh by the way he's a shortstop i mean the value doesn't get much higher than that so kind of moving on from the the uh, college the college and the draft especially with some of those 2020 guys let's kind of move on towards the super 60 mm-hmm. so what really goes into getting ready for the super 60 uh from our from our perspective in terms yeah. of like so it starts – well, it, it starts when we see the guys not only first but really um, going into that summer before their senior year is when that kind of that, – that draft crop really starts to materialize. Um, so we start thinking about it then, and it's in the back of our minds like, oh, this guy you know should be invited to Super 60. But it really gets going in November when we start uh, you know first sending out invitations – and really, the goal is to find, you know, the best guys 
you know, from the states that we cover, you know, obviously there's a heavy Midwest flavor because it's in Chicago. So it's easier for those guys to get there, you know, for a one day uh, workout. Uh, but two, that's where PBR got its start was in the Midwest. So obviously its roots run deep there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're just looking to give the scouts, um, you know, a little bit of a taste of what to expect in the spring. Uh, so we definitely we want those draft guys. We want those big name guys there. But at the same t- time, too, like one of my favorite things about the Super 60 has always been who's that second tier guy that we saw last summer. Maybe he wasn't on the national circuit or he was, but he wasn't one of the premium names. What changes did he make in the winter to put himself into that conversation? Mm-hmm. Who You know, who's going to make that jump or who's going to come out and show us something that might have been hurt last summer, like a Mackenzie Wainwright. He was a little banged up, uh, nothing serious to worry about, but he couldn't play at East Coast Pro or Area Code Games because he was injured. He comes out to Super 60 and just goes off in batting practice, big-time metrics, uh, love the swing. He was one of those guys where it's like, oh, man, I got to watch this guy this spring. Now, obviously, this spring is a little different because of you know coronavirus and all that, but in a normal year, he's a guy that you're like, I didn't see him last summer for reasons A, B, or C. Based on what I saw today, he's a must-see this spring, and I got to follow him. So that's always been one of my favorite things is finding that that sleeper guy that made that jump because of the off-season workout. So we want to we get those top guys there so the scouts can see him, but also find you know that sleeper guy and give him a chance to make a name for himself and you know become a follow for the, uh, the organizations. So what really determines who gets an invite to the Super 60? So, I mean, we we start with, you know, the, the first tier of guys, you know, the mm-hmm. Ben Mendeses of the world, the guys that are those elite prospects, um, and we invite them, you know, because they're the best players. And, the you know, scouts want to see the best players and want to see how they progressed over the winter. Um, so those are the priority guys. Now, for, you know, several reasons, you know, a lot some of those guys say – you know, that they, they, they can't come or they don't want to come, you know, maybe they're not ready. Maybe their arm's not ready or maybe there's a nagging injury, um, you know, especially for the, some of those colder weather states that get that later start. Uh, sometimes that's the thing. Sometimes it's travel. You know, a guy in California, you know, probably doesn't want to fly to Chicago sometimes in late January, <laughs> uh, you know, when he can go and play outside. It's all very understandable. So then from there, we just have a priority list of guys and we just – you know, start working our way down it um, and, you know, to put the roster together and aim for that that magic number of 60 to 70 guys um, that we think scouts want to and want to see, but also guys that we think they should see. Sometimes they'll walk in and they'll look at our list and they'll be like, I'm not sure who that guy is. And they'll walk out with that list. I'm really glad I know who that guy is now. Right. So what are some things that you've seen with your guys' scouting as well as talking to the the uh, professional scouts, what are some things you've seen change in, in about the last five years there? The analytics um, are huge. The, the the stuff that you can measure on the field, um, but it's not necessarily something you can see with the naked eye, um, is made it, it, an enormous jump uh, in the last few years. I mean, TrackMan um, was something that I knew about, you know, several years ago i think even when i was still at baseball america which at this point is seven years ago um like there was something that was known but it was very new 
And now where it is today is, uh, I won't say it's gospel because, you know, there's still, it's a piece of the puzzle, but it's a big piece of the puzzle. Um, so the data and the analytics side of the game uh, has gotten really big, especially in the amateur market, because now you're building up in the amount of data so that you have history with it. So now you can look at it and say, okay, well, I have these TrackMan numbers on, you know, Nathan Rohde, not that anyone ever had TrackMan on me, <laughs> but they, we have these numbers on Nathan Rohde, you know, from, you know, several years ago, and this is how he turned out. So now we can look at a guy that has, that shows similar numbers and it gives us, you know, that information to try to be, uh, you know, predictors because so much about baseball um, is subjective. You know, we want to try to get as much objective information as we can. And the more data that we have, the better. I'm always one of those guys. The more information I have, the better. It's up to me to disseminate it and decide what's important, what's not, um, and what I should say yes or no on. But I never will, you'll never come to me with data and me just say no thanks. <laughs> I, I know that's a big thing for me being a pitcher, and then here at John Anna, we're we're blessed enough to have a track man on our field, mm -hmm. and I could I could I would get in trouble sometimes for going up there and just sitting in there too long looking at it. <laughs> you can fall in love with those numbers for sure. The, you certainly can, and there's a lot. It's there's a lot of information. It's easy to get really lost in it. Yeah. Um, and the more you know about it, the better. But as long as you have that that base level knowledge of of what the numbers mean not only for a scout can you really you know maybe find a diamond in the rough or maybe go for a guy that maybe you didn't perform as well or show something in a game but the numbers tell you that it might be in there you just got to tap into it but also for a guy like you like a player you can look at that and say well here are my numbers which means this is what i need to do to get better or find mm -hmm. more success or change what are some metrics that really stick out to you guys as scouts? Well, uh, I mean, spin rate is is certainly something that is talked about a lot and is mm -hmm. big, but it goes beyond that, and it's and it's still stuff that I'm continuously learning. But it's not just that one raw number of his spin rate is X on his fastball or on his breaking ball. You can have spin rates that you know are you know considered average, but for um other reasons the that pitch plays up and it you know mm -hmm. there's stuff to do with you know the axis of the spin right. uh, and also the release point um you know if you've got you know maybe you have uh you know decent spin a decent spin rate on your fastball but your release point is such that um you're releasing it you know further away from the hitter you don't have as much extension so that hitter now has more time to pick up that ball whereas if you have you know maybe you have average spin but you have excellent extension so that ball gets on the hitter quicker um that can help your fastball play up so the for us it's really it goes beyond just that that one raw number of you know spin rate you know you got to talk about x-axis you got to talk about extension um you know with uh, exit velocity exit velocity is all well and good but you know if if the launch angle isn't right, you know, you're not getting that premium, uh, you know, flight on the ball. So it's just understanding that the depth of it is, it's, it's very deep. And, it, you know, there's a lot to learn about it. Um, and you have to look uh, as deep as you can. 
So, would there are there? Do you guys use anything like Rapsodo TrackMan at uh, your guys' events? Yes. So we uh, we have a deal now with uh, with TrackMan, uh, and we have those TrackMan B1 units um, that we are um, giving out to our states uh, that we'll start using hopefully uh, this summer. <laughs> we'll see how things go with coronavirus, but the plan is to implement. Uh, the TrackMan B1 units at a lot of our events, not all of them, um, but definitely a lot of them um, because that data is, you know, not only coveted by major league organizations, but by the colleges as well. Um, so, you know, we plan on having those, um, but also we use, uh, we have a partnership with Blast Motion, uh, okay. swing sensor technology. So the little knob that you put on the end of your bat tells you a lot about your swing metrics, your bat speed, your acceleration, your launch angle. Uh, and things like that. So uh, those will be implemented uh, at events uh, as well. How, how over the last year with you guys trans transforming into going into Lake Point, how has that been able to really get tournaments out there and be able to get the, more of those Southern guys? It's been great. Having tournaments at Lake Point um, has been tremendous uh, for me, especially because I love I'm a big proponent of going to one spot and, you know, if I have to wander between fields, so be it. But if I can go to one facility and just kind of turn my head and mm -hmm. see lots of good players, uh, then that's a win for me. You know, it's less 100%. time in the car, uh, less traveling. Uh, the big thing for us with being at Lake Point and at other facilities like Grand Park in uh, Westfield, Indiana, we just opened up Creekside in Kansas City. Um, and we've got some things in place with other facilities across the country. Um, but the big thing also is the experience for the teams and for the players and for the parents. If we tell you that, you know, a, uh, that our tournament is at Lake Point, all, uh, most of, if not all of your games are going to be at Lake Point. It's not going to be, you're going to play one game at Lake Point and then we're going to send you off to right. several different high schools, you know, in the, in the metro area that are an hour or two hour drive away. Like we might have, depending on the size of the event, you might have to go off site for one game and it will keep it relatively close, but you got a premium facility there. Why would we not let people use it? Uh, mm -hmm. So we want everyone to have a good experience. We want, you know, not only the players to play on a good, you know, facility on a good surface, um, but do it multiple times in a tournament. And we also want the parents to have a good experience in that. They get to come in, they get to sit back and sit in one spot and watch their kid play as opposed to watching him play, jumping in the car, driving somewhere else, you know, constantly. So that's been uh, a big thing for us. I think one thing that's still relatively new to guys that I don't know if people are really familiar with, kind of touch up on the, the limited series and kind of how that came about. So the limited series was uh, in, an effort to, uh, you know, put turn good, high-quality, competitive tournaments together Um but make it easier for teams to participate. We still want that high level of competition. We still want you to go out there and face, you know, the best. But we also don't want to make it impossible for you to have access to that. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, having Lake Point is great, um, but we're not going to continuously ask California teams to come to Lake Point because that obviously comes at a high cost of travel for them. So the limited series was an idea to you know, keep not only highly competitive tournaments, but also regionalize it so that it's easier, uh, you know, for teams to participate and cut down on the cost of their travel because players are already spending a premium to be on the travel team. But then you add in the cost of 
you know, traveling. And then, you know, what you want the parents to come. We don't need parents to constantly go from California to Georgia or Florida and vice versa, you know, to see their kid play. Like, you know, if you have a national tournament, you know, once a summer or something like that, that's fine. But if you're from Florida or you're from Georgia, how much better for it is it for you as a player to just pop into Atlanta for a tournament a couple of times a year or somewhere in Florida. And if you're in Arizona or California, you know, stick around there for most of the summer and fall, uh, especially with school in the fall and play in a tournament. And then, you know, if you want to get out and go to a national tournament, you know, once, maybe twice, um, then so be it. But that's the idea behind a limited series is highly competitive, but still reasonably uh, close by so that it doesn't, you know, uh, exclude too many teams. I really like that, the whole concept of that, especially when you're talking about some of those East Coast guys that are, aren't able to actually make it their way to Cobb County there to mm-hmm. play at Lake Point. Right. So transitioning into some more player talk, what kind of, what kind of goes into ranking your high school players? A lot of things, obviously. Um, right. But, um, so it's interesting. It starts out as, you know, we start ranking guys when they are freshmen. Um, and we don't go before that because to me, that's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we rank you as freshmen, and there's it's kind of a sliding scale that when you're a freshman, a lot of the guys that you'll see at the top are, the way I put it is it's kind of that argument of player versus prospect. And there, it's a, it is semantics, but there is something to it in me that, you know, you might be the best player at the time, but you might not be the, you know, the best prospect because then comes in the talk of, like, projection and how are you going to progress in the next four years and the four years beyond that. Um, so early on, there's a lot of like right now, you know, if, are you the, you know, the best hitter and the best pitcher? And if you're throwing hard as a freshman, you know, if you're hitting 90 or better as a freshman, then you're going to get ranked because, you know, you are very obviously the best at what you do. The more you progress towards your, you know, your senior year, the more we start looking at beyond your senior year. Um, you know, what kind of college player are you going to be? What kind of pro player are you going to be? And by the time that you are a senior and we're ranking you, it's very much um, draft centric. So we're looking at the projection. And yeah, you might not have the best success on the field right now, or maybe somebody's put up better numbers than you, but you're still the better prospect. Because when you're talking about the draft, you're drafting players in hopes of hitting on their value in their peak years, which is ages 26 to 32. If you get them before that, you're talking about, you know, a premium player who's got, you know, the chance to be an awesome for many years to come. Um, but that's the idea is, you know, when you're drafting a guy, what's he going to be in that time frame? Um, so we lean more toward that projection side of things. Um, but the things we look for are athleticism, uh, first and foremost. You know, athletes do things easily. And, you know, if you're an athlete, a lot of this other stuff, not only is it going to become easy for you to hit and to defend and to pitch, but it's also going to be easy for you to adapt. The better athletes you are, the more easily you can make changes. So first and foremost, we look for athleticism. Then uh, it's the tools. You know, how do the tools play? You know, are you can you defend? You know, can you run? So can you move in the field uh, and cover ground defensively? Uh, you know, what kind of bat speed do you have? Are you going to be able to make adjustments at the plate? 
Um, if you're fooled on a breaking ball, are you going to be able to stay back and still have the back speed, you know, to catch up to a pitch uh, if you have to make that decision later? Uh, things like that. A lot of those little tiny details uh, go into those tools, and we look at we look at all of them. I got uh, two fan questions here that I okay. got from Facebook and Twitter. Uh, one person asked is, what is the impact of go on rankings from attending a PBR showcase or a tournament going after the ranking? How much of an impact does it make attending those events? So it doesn't, it's not an impact in that you went to our event, so we're going to rank you or we're going to move. Mm -hmm. The impact is in that we got a chance to see you. Now, we're, that doesn't mean we're going to exclude you because you didn't come to an event, because we still go out to high school games. We still go to other events mm -hmm. by other organizations. I go to a lot of stuff put on by USA Baseball. I go to the Area Code Games, East Coast Pro Showcase. We are Our goal is to evaluate you as a player. It's easy when you come to a PPR event, because obviously it's our event, right. and we work those events. But that doesn't if you don't end up at a PBR event, that doesn't exclude you. And it doesn't necessarily uh, do you um, we're not gonna like rank you above another guy just because like if it comes down to two guys, it's not gonna be like for me, it's not gonna be like, oh, well, he came to our event and this guy didn't. right. That doesn't matter to me. i want I want to look at the value of the player because that's where our credibility and our list comes from because the scouts are going to look at it. College recruiters are going to look at it and they're going to rely on us evaluating the player. They don't care what event they went to. So why, why should we, we obviously we want players to come to our events. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about you as a player and where your evaluation stands. Perfect. You actually answered both of those questions. <laughs> the next one was, do you have to go to a PVR event to get ranked? That somebody Absolutely. asked. No, absolutely not. No, because I mean, that's why we go out um, in the spring season, not only to cover high school baseball, you know, because we believe that those players, even if you're not going to play beyond high school, you still deserve coverage because you're playing, playing for your school, you're competing for a state title and things like that. Um, but we go out to see the players uh, and to evaluate them um, because there's so much going on in the summer and that we're also running events ourselves you know, there are players in the spring that we're going to see because we might not get to see them uh, in the summer or in the fall, or maybe we don't see them as much as we want to. Um, so no, it's not a requirement whatsoever. We, our goal is to see players and evaluate them, and we're going to do what, whatever we can to do that. I know kind of piggybacking off that from me back when I was, I was in high school. Mm -hmm. I'm from Illinois, and we got we had, the, we had the opportunity to play in the kickoff classic hosted mm -hmm. by PBR. But other than that, like, over my four years, I, I mean, I, I probably saw you guys 10, 15 different times throughout the year, like, bam, everywhere. Obviously, kind of helps, like, when, you got, when you're playing top, other top-tier teams there. Right. But you guys are definitely out there putting in that work for guys. Yeah, our state guys really get after it. Um, and, I mean, give, give them, uh, you know, all the credit. I get around a lot and, you know, all over the country, but our guys are out there. Um, seeing anybody and everybody that they possibly can. And that's one of the things that I, I pitch to people that's that's different about us is because we operate at that state level, you know, we do care about those top guys in the country, the Zach Veens, the Ed Howards. You know, those are the guys that I cover. And our state guys definitely cover them too. But they also, you know, work down the spectrum. You know, the guys that are, you know, maybe they're mid-major or low D1 guys. Maybe they're a D2 guy, D3, junior college, NAIA. 
everybody that plays baseball, like if you have the ability to play at the next level, you deserve that chance. And we want to help you in that process and in and to be seen by those coaches because there's so many players out there. They they can only see so much with their own eyes. So we want to be that second set of eyes uh, for coaches and scouts so that players that have the ability to play at the next level have the opportunity to do so. That's one thing you just said that I love the slogan for PBR is be seen. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a great thing. That's that's our number one goal is just to see players and evaluate them as much as possible. Yeah. I know getting ready for this podcast, I'd, I'd actually talk to Coach Zach and I talked to Coach Banfield. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I called Coach we're, Banfield on you when you hit me up. So. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were texting back and forth. And he, he said, make sure to tell him what a jerk I am. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan, uh, Jordan was great for us uh, when he worked Arizona. We were sad to see him go, but obviously – uh, he gets to coach and gets to be a little closer to home, and we still get to see him out there at the ball field, and it's always great to talk uh, talk baseball with him. Yeah, he's definitely – I had a great time being especially on my visit, and then over the time that I had to be able to sit there and talk with him. So kind of going on to wrapping up, kind of go to some rapid-fire stuff here. Okay. Uh, so personal for you, what's what's one of the favorite things about your job with PBR? I love that I get to see these players in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been doing it now for 12 years. You know, when I was at Baseball America, I was covering high schools in the draft. Then I moved over to PBR and, you know, scouting these players. And I love to see them at, you know, that young age and then watch how they progress, uh, the work that they put in. And I love to see guys that, you know, prove us, prove me, prove others wrong. And then also guys that tap into that potential that we did see, um, you know, that may, maybe we were, you know, right about for whatever reason. But I get to turn the TV on now and see all these guys that I watched in high school, Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, Christian Yelich, you know, some of the best players in the game. You know, I saw them when they were 16, 17, 18 years old. And then I also love to turn on the TV and see a guy and be like, wait a minute, I recognize it and be reminded of somebody that I saw, but maybe forgot about and maybe he kind of blended in uh, back in the day. So just being able to see the players at a young age and then watch them progress into their careers is is a treat. Kind of going on the flip side of that, what's the what's the worst thing that you got to do with along with scouting? <laughs> <laughs> This is it's a love hate relationship, and, <laughs> but it's the travel. The travel is is really hard. Um, yeah. Obviously, not right now. Um, yeah. Right now is really weird because I'm not traveling right now. Um, but the travel is difficult. Uh, that's one thing I always tell people. I love my job. It's a lot of fun. I would I wouldn't. There's very little in the world that I would trade it for. But just because I say that, don't think that it's easy. Right. You know. I don't spend as many nights in a hotel as, you know, a scout for a major league organization or maybe as a college coach, but I still do spend a lot of time on the road and that's a time away from my wife. I don't have any kids, uh, which makes it easier, but I do have dogs, um, big dog person. Uh, So that's time away from, uh, you know, our dogs uh, and times, you know, that I don't also don't get to be at home hanging out with friends and, you know, going out for dinner or something like that. Uh, So that's, that's probably the the least good part about it. I wouldn't say the worst part because then again, I do get to go to California and 
go to an event and then go have dinner, you know, on like, you know, a beach restaurant or something right. at night and get to travel over all over the places. And I go to a lot of places the same every year, but then I also get to go to new places that I've never been before um, and watch baseball. Like I always like to say like, Oh, I've seen baseball in X number of States. I can't remember what it is at this point, but um, so there's good and bad to it, but the travel is makes it does make it difficult. And you kind of said a few players recently, but who is the best player you've been able to see in person? So th- there's two there's two levels to that answer for me, um, to that question. Best player that I saw at the time, hands down, Bryce Harper. He okay. was far and away better than anybody else on the field, and he was also two years younger than everyone that I was watching him against. Um, so at the time, Bryce Harper was the best player that I saw on the field. In terms of guys that I saw that were very obviously good, but turned out to be the best. Like, I mean, just he's the best player in baseball right now. Mike Trout. Like, right. I, got, I got to see him in high school. Like, he is hands down the best player in all of baseball right now. Um, and I got to see him when he was in high school. And even then, it was, oh, he's a slam dunk first-round guy. He can really run. He can hit. He's strong. He's a good athlete. So he's definitely a first-rounder. Could be, a you know, an all-star level player. But anybody that sits here and says, oh, I knew Mike Trout was going to be a Hall of Famer when he was 17, there's only one team that can say that, and that's the Angels. Because they very much did say that when they drafted him. But there were 24 teams in front of them that uh, that passed. So if any of them say that he was going to be a Hall of Famer, uh, it's a little revisionist history for me. (laughs) So this is probably my, my favorite question I ask people. And kind of picked this up from our partner with the JBB. He said, so if you, you got you and four others, you're, you're going golfing. You, get, you can pick anybody all times. You get you pick four people that go golf with you. Who you got? Well, I'm terrible at golf. So somebody that can – probably somebody that can help me. Uh, so anybody in all walks of life or all in baseball? Anything. Not just baseball. It could be anything. Ooh, all, man. all time. Wow. I've never actually really, and again, I don't really play golf, so I've never really actually thought about that. Usually, it's like the dinner question: if you could have dinner with somebody. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll change it up to that. You got four people to go <laughs> eat dinner with. <laughs> dinner. Um, well, definitely my favorite player of all time, uh, Cal Ripken Jr. Okay. Uh, I, I grew up in Virginia, um, and before the Nationals, you know, had moved to Washington, so the Baltimore Orioles were the team. Um, I grew up a Tigers fan because of my family, but the Orioles were who I saw all the time because of the home um, network, um, but also because that was the closest team. So Cal Ripken was my favorite player growing up. Um, man, um, I w- this and this is certainly um, has uh, some poignancy to it because it's so recent. But last week, Al Kaline passed away. Uh, who was my dad's favorite player. I never got to meet him. My dad never got to meet him. I was trying to pull some strings to pull it off one day, but he unfortunately passed. But just the way my dad talked about him as a player, I definitely would have really liked to uh, have experienced that uh, in just talking with him, talking baseball uh, would have been a lot of fun. Um, Let me try to go outside of baseball. Um, still a big sports guy so I, my family's from michigan so i'm a big u of m fan uh, okay. 
So, and when I was, when I was in middle school, they won a national championship. Uh, and Charles Woodson was a big guy on that team. Yeah. So being able to hang out with him, I think would be, would be a lot of fun. Talk about that team. Um, and just also to be around somebody that that's that good of an athlete. Yeah. Uh, I would, uh, I would definitely like to be around. Um, need to try to not sound like a huge jock. Um, <laughs> not that much of a jock. Um, man. I mean, polit- I don't like to get political publicly um, for obvious reasons, but politics are not just the way how smart he is and the way he carries himself and how charismatic uh, and well thought he is. Barack Obama for me, I mm. would like that's a guy that I could sit down and talk to. Well, probably just listen to all day because he's way smarter than I am. <laughs> um, and I think no matter which side you fall on, just having a conversation with him, I think um, would definitely be, um, uh, be, be pretty big. And then, uh, man, I need to, I need to look for some inspiration. here. <laughs> on my, oh, you know, I, I've recently, um, I recently, uh, I say recently about five or five years ago or so got into rock climbing, um, okay. just as a, just as a secondary sport for me to stay fit. And, uh, you know, I go to a climbing gym and I get outside a little bit. Um, but, uh, I would love, there's three guys. So this will put me way over the, the five, but there's three guys that really interest me when it comes to that community. And it's Jimmy Chin, Tommy Caldwell, and Alex Honnold. Alex Honnold, everybody knows because of Free Solo. Okay. Absolutely amazing movie. Climbed El Capitan with no ropes. Just a one of the greatest athletic feats in human history, no matter what sport. Um, so just to kind of sit and talk with him, I think would be interesting because he's wired very differently. Tommy Caldwell, um, who was in that movie, um, is just a very, uh, very interesting person, very smart very outdoorsy um, and very uh, active when it comes to just like preserving the outdoors. So mm-hmm. I'd love to have a conversation with him. But Jimmy Chin for me is like, I love my, my wife's a photographer. That's how we met. We had a photojournalism class together as well as a class called baseball statistics. Um, that's where we met, but I'm, I'm into photography. I'm into video work and movies and things like that because my wife is too. And Jimmy Chin is, award-winning uh for free solo but also just like the the material that he puts out is second to none and because like next to baseball the outdoors is one of my biggest uh passions uh so see what he does in the outdoors to be able to hang out with him would be would be a lot of fun thing i couldn't rock climbing that's i've i've seen a lot of people do it I, i think it'd be fun it's it's fun it's really hard um and athletes like it's really interesting to see how people start out in it because you know like you and me like especially you being a a college athlete like the first thing that you're going to do is like just use your upper body strength you're like i'm just going to run up this wall and use my arms because i can do a bunch of pull-ups but really the trick is in actually using your upper body as little as possible and putting as much weight into your lower half as possible and that what's is what allows you to like take next steps in terms of your ability of like what grade to climb like um that's how i started i was like oh i can do a bunch of pull-ups so let me just (laughs) run up this wall with my hands and then i very quickly got tired 
Um, it wasn't until I started using my lower half and working on that technique that I actually become, I'm not, I'm not going to say that I'm a good climber. I'm very, very much an amateur, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but was able to progress to climb the level of difficulty that I am now. Yeah, that's, that's definitely, I was not expecting that one. <laughs> That'd be, I'm definitely going to have to check that some try to check that one out. Yeah. Did you, did you watch the, have the chance to watch the Jordan documentary last night? I have not. Wa- I've not been able to see it yet. I've heard. I've heard that it's amazing. I was hearing. I listened a little bit to the Dan Levitard show, and they were talking about the documentary before. Obviously, it was coming out, and they were saying that they talked to. Like anytime you talk, you do a documentary. You got to talk to a lot of people, get as much information as you can. Right. Um, and some people you're just not going to get for whatever reason. You know, maybe it's logistics. Maybe it's they don't feel like talking about a subject because it's controversial. Um, but they talked to 106 people, I think it was, for the documentary, which is mind-blowing. Um, but also, they got every person on their list that they wanted to talk to, they got. So that, that's so, crazy. So just hearing that, like, I mean, I know a lot of documentaries, just even the topic intrigues me. I'm like, oh, that I'm sure that's going to be really good. But not only is it an intriguing topic, and you know, t- talking about one of the greatest athletes of all time, um, but to hear the work that went into it, um, I definitely I haven't been able to sit down and watch it yet. But it's definitely on the list, especially if I'm going to be sitting at home for the next month or so. Yeah, I turned it on last night and like I'm getting like 30, 45 minutes into it, and I'm just like trying to rethink about who I think's better, LeBron or Jordan or Kobe. I'm just going <laughs> to <laughs> anytime. I mean, that's a great debate in itself. I don't know that there is even a right answer. I- that's my um, conclusion. <laughs> like, but the fact that even after having that debate, if you settle on a side and then you watch something like that and it reignites that debate, you know, you know it's good. I saw there was a graphic ESPN put out a, a Larry Bird quote that he had in it. And Larry Bird was like, Michael Jordan's just a man disguised as God on a basketball court. And That's I was an like, amazing quote. I had not heard that one before. That is an amazing quote. <laughs> yeah, like they had him and they said it. And I was like, he's got a point. He's dude's a freak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but other than that, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, for our listeners, you guys can find him on Twitter at Nathan Rohde, or you can also tune in to various podcasts he's on with Coffees and Curveballs with Shooter Hunt, as well as the Rohde Show. And you can find those in the, uh, more links tab on the PPR website. We appreciate you coming on, Nathan. Anything you want to add to that? No, that's all great, man. You can go to prepbaseballreport.com, find all that info. Um, But like you said, you'll uh, send the links to it. But, yeah, follow along. And anytime that anybody wants to talk baseball, uh, I'm all for it. And so, Ian, I appreciate you having me on. It was was a blast to talk baseball with you. Appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) 